You're listening to X-Ray FM on KXRY Portland at 91.1 and 107.1, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. This is Amplify Women on X-Ray FM. I'm your host, Emily Gilliland. In celebration of International Women's Day, we are hosting 12 hours of women-focused programming. We're amplifying women's voices and providing intersectional education on a diverse range of issues impacting women in Portland and beyond. Between now and 7 p.m., you'll be hearing some of Portland's most impactful community leaders, educators, activists, artists, and professionals as they tell their stories to educate, empower, and inspire change. As part of today's programming, I'll be talking with Melissa Erlbaum, Executive Director of Clackamas Women's Services about their Legal Empowerment Accelerator Program Later in the hour, we'll be joined by Diana Camarillo, Latina Services Coordinator at Clackamas Women's Services to discuss the Promotores Program, empowering Latinas in Clackamas County to be advocates in their own communities. As a content warning, this segment may be triggering for some audiences. We'll be discussing domestic violence and interaction with the legal system. If you'd like to skip this content, please return to us at 11 a.m. for our next programming block. And first up, we have Melissa Erlbaum, the Executive Director of Clackamas Women's Services. Welcome, Melissa. How are you doing today? I'm great. Really happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. Tell me a little bit about what Clackamas Women's Services does and how the LEAP program fits into that. I'm happy to. So Clackamas Women's Services has been in our community for over 35 years. And over that, we've grown from a small grassroots nonprofit uh, providing emergency shelter and crisis line support for families and individuals impacted by domestic and sexual violence to now having multiple programs across our agency. We have a violence prevention program where we work in over 20 elementary, middle and high schools throughout Clackamas County with a curriculum around preventing violence and promoting healthy relationships. Uh, we're a primary partner at A Safe Place Family Justice Center where folks can walk in at least pre-COVID and hopefully once we get things back to a little bit of a new normal, folks can walk into that center and receive all the services um, in one place so they can have access to video court, uh, counselors, advocates, uh, law enforcement, um, self-sufficiency, anything that they need when they can walk in the center and achieve it there. And then we also have um, a mental health therapy program, counseling program, we have a housing program, and while we don't have a physical building, we do serve hundreds of families throughout the community in Clackamas County with rental subsidies, short and long-term, including permanent supportive housing. We also have a children's program that is a pretty robust array of services. We have Camp Hope Oregon, which is a camping and mentoring program for children that's really based around hope and hope theory. And then we also do art-based therapy, counseling, advocacy, lots of fun community building events with children. We have our Latina services program, which you'll hear about later in the segment. And then we have our LEAP program. So that's our Legal Empowerment Accelerator program. Um, that is a new program that just launched last year. Um, and the goal of that program is to meet the um, you know, access to justice gaps that we see in our community, particularly for the victims and survivors we serve, which are survivors of domestic and sexual violence, trafficking, and elder abuse. Wow. And Melissa, what brings you to this work? 
it's been a great privilege. I've been in this field for over 25 years. I started out uh, working in New York City um, as a rape crisis advocate at St. Luke's Hospital. Um, and at that time, just really saw the amazing resiliency that survivors had having gone through really horrendous trauma and really wanted to, you know, stay in the field and figure out how best to create organizations that not only provided for the needs of survivors looking at the whole person. Uh, so for example, um, not just looking at the crisis or the incident of violence that occurred, but what are all the aspects of their lives that we can do, we can be involved with to support wellness and inform the community about their experiences. And also um, I was really excited to move into program management and then into administrative work because I care deeply about the fact that our employees show up for work every day, bringing their whole self to the job. We do very heart-centered work. Um, and it was really important to me to think about organizations and self-care more holistically. So we often hear in our field, you know, self-care is going home and taking a bubble bath or going for a walk. And those are really important things for sure. But those are important things for everybody, uh, for folks that are doing work in the trauma field and the field of healing and supporting folks who are um, experiencing violence and, and threats in our community. I think it takes a little bit extra. And as an organization, really trying to strive every day to figure out how we best can support our employees while they're at work um, and giving them the best work environment possible. And each day is a new journey in that process to improve. So you've seen um, the reality for folks who've been impacted by violence across different communities. How, how do you compare and contrast what you've seen in New York City or other places with what you're witnessing in Clackamas County? Sure. I mean, in Clackamas County, it, it's unique. I think geographically is a huge issue. You know, we have communities that are very rural, um, that re are very reliant on farm worker communities, and also just generally um, communities that are far away from resources physically. Uh, but then we also have some of the wealthiest communities in the state of Oregon and parts of our county. And then we have other parts of our county that are, um, you know, on a different spectrum economically, but also have more diversity and our younger families moving in. So it's really just a, it's a wide range. And I think that's slightly different than some of the metropolitan areas I've worked at, worked in where it's sort of concentrated. Um, it's just a, such a widespread geographically. And I also think that um, as part of the Portland metro region, you know, our county is still sort of growing and changing in ways um, that other parts of the region may have grown a little bit more rapidly. Um, and so it's just a, it's a, it's a unique county um, and it's so, um, it's so large geographically, but it's also incredibly, it's just full of um, various communities that, you know, pockets of different communities throughout it that it just have their own unique aspects. And I think people sort of um, take that for granted how, how unique our county is. Right. And, and how do you navigate that? How do you navigate the reality of someone experiencing um, this in a more metropolitan area versus more rural area? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a challenge and it's also a challenge to make sure that we're reaching all the different communities in both urban and rural areas. I think there's often a misconception that um, Clackamas County doesn't um, have communities of color or populations that are um, seen throughout the Portland metro area, and that's just not true. We have amazing communities and um, throughout Clackamas County. And so 
part of the goal is, you know, finding a reflective staff that can connect with different communities. Part of it is also bringing services to the community in a way that works for each person. So I mentioned earlier, we have um, an office at a safe place family justice center. That's sort of a one stop center, but that's not always the best option for folks. So we also have an office out in the rural community and we do mobile services that will go into people's homes and we'll also go um, into community centers, whether that's you know, a meeting hall at an apartment complex, whether that's a uh, faith institution, a community center, we'll meet people wherever they're at. And that's a really important piece of that. And it's trust building over time. Um, and you'll hear about that a little bit more in our program with uh, Promotoras is a great example. Um, where we're really trying to connect with folks in, in the community who ha may have had their own lived experience, but really that they have expertise in the community that they live in and can connect us to that to folks in the community who might uh, benefit from the resources we have to offer. Yeah. You, you said a, a really important word in your introduction and your first answer, and that is COVID. How has your work changed in the last year as folks have been stuck at home, who have been doing physical distancing, who've not had um, access to services in the same way? How has your work changed? That's a great question. Um, we were fortunate to have a really innovative and highly adaptive leadership team as we headed into this, you know, really worldwide crisis. Um, and we were able to adapt really quickly and move things into a virtual world, but also to continue some level of in-person services, um, despite some of the barriers of COVID. So one example would be our emergency shelter and housing program. We um, we actually expanded that program during the, the pandemic and have served about 60% more families and individuals than we had served before. And we continue to prioritize those referrals coming from our culturally specific partners throughout the metro area for that service. And we were able to do that by building relationships with local hotels and you know, having blocks of rooms reserved. And then we have an amazing staff that has just been dedicated to bringing food and supplies and you know, whatever folks need in that hotel setting, but then they are able to have that level of social distancing and um, safety for their families. And then we've also done a lot of stuff virtually um, as many folks in the world have. Um, our Family Justice Center is still open by appointment only and we do um, in-person work there by appointment and also video court. But in terms of um, technology, I have to say that it's been really fascinating. I, you know, I think we're all anxious, um, at least in our world, to get back to in-person services. What we do is very relational. And again, I mentioned we really wanna literally physically and emotionally meet people where they're at. Um, however, it has opened up an opportunity to do things in ways that we hadn't imagined. And for some of the parents who typically may have had a hard time getting to a support group in the evening or an art-based therapy group because they had to get the homework done and feed the kiddos and get them in the car and drive to a group, um, now that they're able to jump on, you know, on their phone or on their computer or whatever we need to provide that technology, it actually has created some greater accessibility um, for some folks to be able to engage. I think the hard part is um, that works really well for people who may have um, connection to us and we may have built trust already. But I think it is a challenge for folks who may not be familiar with the organization. Um, it can be a little daunting to jump on you know, to technology and start talking to somebody that you haven't met yet. Uh, but we've been able to keep moving through it and keep serving the community, which is just phenomenal. And another thing I will mention is that we have had um, 
the, the county and the state um, both uh, partner with us to put out a lot of the COVID money, the CARES Act money into the community. We've done, I think, close to a million dollars of rental assistance, uh, food assistance, other support. We've worked with families who are in quarantine and isolation um, due to COVID. And that's again, just because we have an amazing, amazing staff that just sort of stepped up and said, what do we need to do? Um, to help our community stabilize during this crisis. And so that's been a great partnership. You know, fortunately, Clackamas Women's Services has had the infrastructure to get that money out um, without having to hire new staff per se. Um, so we've been able to scale up really quickly to get those resources out directly to the community. Mm. Um, one reality of COVID is the isolation that it has created. Have you all seen an increase in need over the last year? Or another, another sort of bigger picture question is, how, how do you track the scale of the need for your services when data collection might, might, might not be happening within the legal system or, or in other ways uh, that might give you a sense of where the need is and how large it is? What we have seen since COVID hit is with these really strong sort of ebb and flows in terms of referrals from partners such as law enforcement. So for example, you know, early on in the pandemic when there was really strict stay at home orders, we all actually saw an increase in calls to law enforcement and a really significant increase in the lethality of those calls. Um, and I think that that's understandable to everyone. Folks are very isolated and, and oftentimes I think those were calls from neighbors and other community members who may have seen things that they hadn't seen before, heard things they hadn't heard before. And then as things have moved on, I would just say that it, you know, the greatest need that we see, um, again, is that shelter and housing piece. You know, people are really struggling in terms of the economic impacts of COVID, but also um, in our children and youth program, we have seen an increase in youth engagement and folks reaching out. You know, they're, they're also very isolated and um, having to, you know, sort of cope with their world changing as well. And so we have a mobile chat line um, and things like that that we're doing with youth. And in terms of the Legal Empowerment Accelerator Program, I would say that um, you know one of the concerns we have is while the courts have been open to some degree, it has greatly delayed a lot of cases. And so things that are not considered high priority, like a divorce case, for example, you know that may not seem like a high priority to most folks, but if there's violence in the relationship, um, that is a high priority and folks really do need access to that service. And so those hearings have been delayed. Um, which, you know, really, you know, my biggest concern is we're providing those support services in the meantime, but I suspect as things start to reopen, we are going to see a surge in those hearings getting scheduled all at once, which is going to create an um, a access to justice gap for folks that we hope to, to help support. Um, I also think that we're going to see um, an increase in referrals related to um, domestic violence and child abuse as folks come back into, into the schools and into the um, community systems that they're they're typically used to working in and living in. I'm Emily Gilliland, Interim Executive Director of X-Ray FM. My guest is Melissa Erlbaum, Executive Director of Clackamas Women's Services. We're here as part of X-Ray's fourth annual Amplify Women Teach-In. We've been discussing the work of Clackamas Women's Services. Melissa, before we just took that quick break, you started to talk about um, some prevention measures. What is what is your prevention education program look like? Yeah, so we um, we have a ten to sixteen lesson curriculum, um, and we provide that to middle schools and high schools. 
And we also have a curriculum that's called Community for Safe Kids that we do in elementary schools. Um, the elementary school program has been a little bit challenged during COVID because that is really, you know, we use life-size uh, puppets and it's really a wonderful, wonderful program, but it's hard to do, of course, um, online. But our violence prevention program in middle and high schools is really designed to, um, you know, help promote healthy relationships um, and give children and youth self-agency and critical thinking skills as they sort of consume media and the world around them. And um, it really hits on a bunch of different pieces. It hits on healthy relationships and navigating relationships as it pertains to domestic and sexual violence. Uh, we talk about you know, what is consent. Uh, we do a lot of sort of um, preventative work around um, you know, things like human trafficking and sexual exploitation. And it really is just um, empowering children and youth to, again, sort of think critically about the media they're consuming um, to give them the words and the scripts to use if they do need to, you know, inter interject in terms of bullying or violence that's occurring around them, and also where to connect to get resources and support for themselves, a family member or a friend, if they know somebody or they themselves is experiencing uh, violence and any abuse in any way. It's really been phenomenal. Uh, you know, over the years that we've done this, we sort of see that the the kiddos that we worked with in middle school and now they're in high school and they're the ones sort of leading the conversations and um, leading the different efforts within their schools. And it's, so it's really refreshing to kind of see that growth for everybody. Sometimes in the nonprofit sector, um, the outputs are rewarded. You know, you're looking at how many folks are served or uh, what have you, and that's, that's where the dollars go. How do you define success for a prevention program? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we, and that's always a challenge in, in funding those type of programs as well. You know, we do sort of pre and post testing with the youth and that gives us some indication of sort of behavioral change and changes in their thinking, um, which can be really helpful. And of course, you know, the examples and the feedback that we get from teachers, especially those who are seeing um, youth progress through the different years of our programming. Um, and then it's a lot of the anecdotal stories of what youth are doing and, you know, seeing them sort of using the the tools and the language and the words that they may have learned in that prevention work um, and in those prevention lessons uh, directly within their schools. But it is hard to measure in that way. Um, I also always tell folks, you know, one of the benefits of having been in this field as long as I have is, you know, we, you know, we know that there's still a lot of violence occurring. We know there's still so much work to do. Um, but the fact that we're having this conversation right now, the fact that this is a, a piece that you're highlighting in your series says a lot to me. It means that public awareness is growing, that people's comfort level in talking about these really hard topics is growing. And that that's really significant change from where we start, where we were even 10 years ago. Um, the fact that the schools will have us in to have these conversations. I mean, they're all very age appropriate, development appropriate conversations, but just the fact that they're willing to invite us in to talk about prevention and engage youth in this way, it just shows that there's, there's a lot of change happening. Mm. Tell us more about your public policy efforts. Oh, thank you. That's a great question. We actually um, are really blessed at our organization to have the ability to engage in policy at sort of a local level, statewide level and national level. Um, as a nonprofit organization, you know, we are a service provider, but we do have the ability to engage in policy work. And I think it's really important um, to, again, sort of have that spectrum of prevention work, intervention, long-term support, and then the policy piece and particularly really bringing the voices of survivors, which are is not a monolith. There's a wide range of 
um, how survivors approach policy, what their needs are. And while there's a lot of common themes, there are a lot of nuances as well. So we are part of a domestic and sexual violence legislative alliance um, that's a statewide alliance that works on issues um, across the state. And then also locally, we're very engaged with our county commissioners and our city councils and mayors, and then nationally as well. I think it's really important. We often don't think about how you know policy that gets made really affects the day-to-day -day lives of the folks that we're working with. And whether that's um, a piece around family law and custody matters, or whether that's a funding request, or, or that might even be um, you know, how um, eviction processes work or how workplaces function when domestic violence is disclosed by an employee and so forth. And these things are, you know, they're part of the policy and the laws that we sort of interact with on a daily basis and they really impact survivors. And one of our goals is really just to consistently be at that table, um, bring ideas forward. You know, a number of years ago, we had worked really hard um, and fortunately were able to pass um, an increased accountability measure around strangulation. So not a fun topic to talk about, but uh, prior to that, um, you know, it was essentially a misdemeanor um, to harm a, a partner in that way. And we all know that strangulation can cause significant damage, um, not just emotionally, but physically and long-term as well. And so we were able to work with partners um, and bring survivor voices forward into that process and talk about the lasting impacts of, you know, such a, a horrible experience and create greater accountability. And then we're also looking, you know, on the on the flip side about ways in which we can provide prevention and intervention and restorative justice and other models as well, so that we can help folks um, create change um, and have accountability that works really for everybody, which is again, kind of back to the question around justice, it's really different for each person. Um, so elevating those voices in the process is a goal of ours. And Melissa, you brought up one success story of, of your work. Are there other areas, other policy areas, maybe not specifically at the state, local, national level, but another area that the network is looking at as a next definition of success around policy? Um, you know, I think broadly speaking, it's, you know, we have what I've seen over the last couple of years is that we have, um, you know, really reached out to elected officials who are starting to really understand the critical importance of these issues and wanting to champion different measures. And so I think one of our goals is to really be well organized and be available um, to our elected officials who are thinking about creating any level of policy that might intersect with the work that we do, and then being able to quickly respond, um, provide support, and most importantly, connect them with the voices of survivors in their direct community so they can hear how that policy may or may not work um, for them. And so just really continuing to be at the table and to be just a forethought, you know, really thinking through, like, how do we reach out to the provider community, the victim service provider community to connect with with them as well. And then, you know, sort of related, but not related is really sort of the policies that we have within our organization with our partners. Um, we had talked uh, a bit ago about the Family Justice Center. And one of the things that I found really exciting was, you know, Clackamas Women's Service has, has a language access uh, policy for our organization, but not all of our partners had the resources to prioritize in-person um, interpretation and translation services and so forth. And so we were able to secure a grant through the Office of um, Crime Victims, and it is for language accessibility. And the goal is to create that policy throughout the Family Justice Center so that both our public and private partners are prioritizing language access, um, sort of taking the model of our policy, but then expanding that on and really securing and prioritizing those resources. So 
it kind of, you know, it cuts all the way through from very local, what we're doing, you know, across systems within Clackamas County to the state level and to the federal level as well. Thank you for that. What does, what does the future look like for your work? That, that's a great question. Um, there's so much that we've learned in COVID in terms about, you know, increasing accessibility and making sure that we're able to reach folks. I think that our future really looks like taking all the programs that we have now um, across the agency, that sort of robust range of prevention, intervention, and long-term support for folks, and then really um, continuing to add that equity lens, continuing to look at how we might use technology to increase accessibility, uh, continuing to prioritize communities that we know, uh, particularly in Clackamas County, are often not seen or heard as frequently. Um, so I think that's sort of uh, the immediate future for us. And the long-term, you know, long-term goals that we're able to really um, have a world where domestic and sexual violence, trafficking, elder abuse is really not the norm. It's you know, very rare and that we're all holding each other accountable to that. Um, and I think, I think we can get there. Mm. I like that vision. <laughs> let's, let's get there. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me more about the LEAP program. That's one of your newer programs. What, tell us more about what the day-to-day looks like in that program, the, pro- the services that are offered. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a really exciting program. Uh, What it seeks to do is, you know, really close that access to justice gap. We know that many of the folks that we work with have multiple legal needs that are not met for a variety of reasons. Uh, We have great partnerships and great organizations like Legal Aid Services of Oregon, but they have income requirements that they have to follow. And they're also, you know, reach capacity fairly quickly with all the needs that we have. Um, But what this program does is it takes attorneys who are recently graduated or perhaps returning to the workforce. Maybe they took time off to uh, be home with children or to care for a loved one. And they're returning to the workforce and looking at opening up a solo practice uh, for whatever reason. And so they enter the LEAP program and they have 18 months in the program and the program covers all of their expenses. It provides the office space, their insurance, legal software, everything that they might need to start uh, their own practice. In exchange for that, they do some low cost work for referrals from Clackamas Women's Services and some pro bono work uh, from referrals from us or our partner agencies. That's primarily family law, um, sometimes immigration support, sometimes support with employment law. And in the process, they also build their practice. So they're taking referrals from the community as well. And there's a significant mentorship piece built in there. And that mentorship is really helping them Um, gain the legal skills that they might need, the confidence that they may need to go into the courtroom and do trials and so on and so forth. But also, um, you know, the the practice management piece of it, you know, how do you manage your own practice? How do you build your practice? And our goal after that 18 months is that they're able to have a sustainable uh, practice that uh, that will also uh, provide some modest mean services to the community, or that if they go into a law firm, they're able to bring that mindset and expertise into that practice and hopefully continue to build uh, more resources throughout um, throughout the community for legal services. Mm. X-Ray focused in on uh, candidate interviews leading up to the last election, and we had an opportunity to, to speak to folks who are running for a judge position and district attorney positions. And one of my favorite questions to them, and I will ask it of you as well, is what does justice mean uh, to Clackamas Women's Services? Yeah, I think that's quite that question. uh, What justice means to us is really individual to each victim and so or survivor. You know, I think that's the most important piece. 
often that's prescribed, you know, what is justice, you know, as a community, we might have a, a lens on that or, you know, within each system, there might be a lens on that. But for the work that we do, it's really asking that question of the person that we're serving, the person that we're walking in that journey with. And it means something different to, to each person. Um, it truly does. And so for us, our role is to elevate that, um, to show a spotlight on what it means to them and to support them in that journey. Mm. As folks are listening and feeling compelled by by your work, what's the best way to be involved with you all and to be an ally in this work? I think, you know, you can connect with us in a number of ways to, to volunteer and get connected. But I think the most important thing is really just knowing where the resources are. We all encounter um, this in our daily lives, whether it be a neighbor, a friend, a coworker. Um, there are so many folks who are impacted impacted by these issues. And what I, my hope is that you're able to say, I know where you can go for support. Let me go with you. Let me make that call with you um, and have that education and to be able to offer that to folks. And I think it's really important to, in the process of educating oneself about these issues is really sort of tearing down those pieces of judgment. It's very natural as human beings for us to think, why is somebody, you know, going back to this relationship or why are you not wanting to report the abuse that happened to you? Um, that's very natural reaction. And so, you know, taking some time to educate yourself, and we have lots of resources at our organization about what, what's available, really approaching people with support and, um, you know, being very non-judgmental and then connecting them to us. People can call our crisis line or connect with the Family Justice Center anonymously. Um, as a friend or family member, you can also always call us and run situations by us. It's 100% confidential. And you also don't have to give us your name or any information mm -hmm. to get that support. And that's 24 seven. Mm. And Melissa, as you do this work, I'm sure you, you're encountering heartbreaking stories on a daily basis. What brings you hope? You know, yes, we do sort of, you know, we do are faced with some hard stories on a daily basis, but more often than not, what we are seeing is true, not just resiliency, but the power of, of change in people's lives. And what brings me hope is the community. It is just phenomenal to me when I hear and see, you know, the community that's created in our village shelter program, um, when folks are healing together and come into that space together, um, the community at large, you know, we have, especially during COVID, we had just an outpouring of folks calling us, what do you need? Um, can I give you my stimulus check? Can I help deliver food? You know, whatever it is, the outpouring of support from the community. And then what also gives me hope again, is just really being able to have these conversations, uh, people's willingness and openness to do that, even though it can be really uncomfortable and really hard. So I actually, you know, for every hard story, there are hundreds more stories of, you know, change in people's lives and, um, and that, you know, breaking that sort of intergenerational cycle or that community cycle of violence, uh, because people are willing to have the courage to come forward for support, we're there to offer that support, and then the community is there to support us to do the work. And it's just, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. Mm. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been wonderful to be here, and I really appreciate the opportunity for the conversation. You've been listening to Amplify Women. For four years, we've preempted all scheduled programming for a 12-hour teach-in in honor of International Women's Day. We bring you female and femme community leaders and changemakers you should know about. 
I'm Emily Gilliland, Interim Executive Director of X-Ray FM. We've just been talking to Melissa Erlbaum, Executive Director of Clackamas Women's Services. We've been discussing the work of CWS and the Legal Empowerment Acceleration Program, or LEAP for short. We'll be back in just a minute with more information and more insights on domestic violence and sexual assault in our community. We'll be joined by Diana Camarillo, Latina Services Coordinator at Clackamas Women's Services. We'll be right back. X-Ray FM comes from Pike Road Wines, fifth-generation Oregon farmers bringing you Willamette Valley, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Gris. Tasting room now open in Carlton, Oregon's historic bank building. More information at pikeroadwines.com. Support for X-Ray FM comes from Control Voltage, a music instrument store located on Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon, specializing in modular, analog, and digital synthesizers, drum machines, MIDI controllers, and a selection of vintage instruments and devices. Control Voltage offers a hands-on approach to finding the right gear. Control Voltage, a place for electronic musicians to discover their sound. More information at controlvoltage.net. Amplify Women on X-Ray FM. I'm your host, Emily Gilliland. In celebration of International Women's Day, we are hosting 12 hours of women-focused programming. We're amplifying women's voices and providing intersectional education on a diverse range of issues impacting women in Portland and beyond. I'd like to welcome our next guest, Diana Camarillo, Latina Services Coordinator at Clackamas Women's Services, who joins Melissa Earlbaum and I. She's here to talk with us about the Promotores program. It's a unique model that CWS is using 
to advocate for Latina survivors in Clackamas County. As a content warning, this segment may be triggering for some audiences. We'll be discussing domestic violence. If you'd like to skip this content, please, please return at 11 a.m. for our next programming block. Diana, welcome to X-Ray. Hello, thank you. How are you, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm feeling good, yeah. It's pretty exciting with International Women's Day that's coming up and how much better uh, platform than to talk about promotoras um, from the Latino community with inclusivity about International Women's Day. Excellent. We are so glad that you are here. Thank you so much for lending your expertise to our work. Tell, tell us a little bit about Promotoras. How, do, how does it work? The way Promotoras works is it's a model to where it's by the community for the community with the support of Clackamas Women's Services Agency. So what we did, uh, we decided that it was important to be able to extend outreach in Clackamas County, especially being a rural area. And the best, um, the best way to do outreach and include folks was to create this model. Actually, the model's already been created in uh, Latin America and Mexico. And so we, uh, we decided to go ahead and, um, and include it. And it was great because what the model does, it invites folks from the community to receive training to build skills, to then go back and provide peer support in their own language, at their own pace, and all the spaces that they thrive and live. Mm. What are some of the components of that training? The training consists of, it's similar to the core training, the domestic and sexual violence core training, but on a smaller scale. So we include the, the basics of domestic and sexual violence, advocacy, which includes some legal resources, sheltered life, uh, trauma-informed, and some ethical communication conversation. So our idea with promotoras is for them to be prepared for when, they, when, they're, when they're able to have a conversation with someone in the community, that they have a, a, good, a good understanding and a good, um, what's the word, perspective of how to be able to roll with like, if someone is a traumatic situation and meeting folks where they're at and giving them the tools necessary for the next steps. Got it. And as you have implemented this program, why is it important that it's culturally specific? It's really important that it's culturally specific because in Clackamas County, there's a huge Latino community and Clackamas Women's Services was already doing a lot of work in the community with the shelter and partnering with many others. The last component was being able to, to do outreach and really voice domestic and sexual violence services specifically to the community. And so by implementing a Latina services program that then brought in promotora training and promotora information, we were then able to now meet folks where they are even further. So us going into the community, being able to be, especially in the rural areas where it's really necessary and be able to go out there and say, here we are. Well, here we are again, like a grand reopening. We've been here, you know, we've always been here, but guess what? We just couldn't get to you. And here we are now in our own language, er, in your language, extending an invitation for you to come learn about what services we offer in the community and how you can help how we can help you help us get the word out in your own space. Mm. And what does it look like to get the word out when, when there is physical distancing in rural communities as opposed to more density that you see in urban communities? 
Yeah. So it was basically, of course, going to pre-pandemic, going to the community, inviting folks to participate in a training, attend monthly meetings, have ongoing continuing education around the topic of domestic and sexual violence, isolation, trauma informed, um, and then giving giving the opportunity for folks to be able to share about the program. So they're able to talk about it um, at work. Uh, they're able to talk about it in their family circles while they're in the community. Maybe they're on a social media talking about something. Any opportunity is a venue and direct entry into Clackamas Women's Services Crisis Line and what we do. So it's, it's the opportunity, an everyday opportunity to give services or provide services and share resources. Mm. And what has the last year looked like for the program? Sadly, um, the program took a little bit of a hiatus and came back at the end of uh, fall. Um, And so we kind of had to get started again. Uh, Our promotoras were always there. They were on standby in some way or other. I let them know. Um, And it was um, it was a little a little, you know, getting back and starting again. But uh, promotoras have been doing great. Uh, we've been able to come back, continue with conversations, remind you know, reminding them that we're still here, asking them how they're going, you know, voicing what's been going on because we we happened to come back right after the the fires, and so it was ve- a very tender time, especially for the rural promotoras that we have, and so we had to like really just go really slow. And you know, folks are back now. We're continuing with outreach, peer support, and education, and um, yeah. It's been going great. That's great. Do you have enough resources to address the needs that you see? At this point, I would say yes. Um, We have the crisis line, which is the first access to folks being able to um, have the resource to talk to somebody in their own language by way of a language line. We have um, our counseling services that provide counseling services in Spanish. Um, that's another great way. And then we have the drop-in center, well, by appointment now, of course, which we have, we try to have a Latina voice or access to that language at any point of entry for folks that are needing services. So yeah, there's, sometimes it takes a while, but it's only because the community is still trying to uh, learn who we are and understand what we do. And once they understand that by way of our promotoras who are out there actively, you know, sharing our flyers, promoting our shelter, promoting our family justice center, promoting promotoras and the experience of promotoras um, is what gets the word of mouth of who we are. And so we're building trust. We're really building trust and reminding folks that we've always been here and, um, and we understand that their needs specifically with the barriers they face, especially um, in rural Clackamas County. Mm. I'm Emily Gilliland, Interim Executive Director of X-Ray FM. My guest is Diana Camarillo, Latina Services Coordinator at Clackamas Women's Services. We're here as part of X-Ray's fourth annual Amplify Women Teach-In. We've been discussing the CWS Promotoris Program, a unique model that CWS is using to advocate for Latina survivors in Clackamas County. As a content warning, this segment may be triggering from some audiences. We'll be discussing domestic violence. If you'd like to skip this content, please return at 11 a.m. for our next programming block. 
Deanna, you just started to talk a little bit about trust. What does it look like to build trust in the community through the Promotoris program? Well, it starts by uh, being accountable to culturally specific ideas. And so when we're going to the community and telling them, this is who we are, this is what we do, that means that we understand what they need, that we've done the work, that we've educated ourselves, and that we understand that true inclusivity means inviting those voices from the community to come tell us what they need. And so that is the best way to be inclusive of the community. And are, the, are you all facing any barriers in implementing this in, in implementing this program? Um, I think that maybe a couple of the barriers is no, I would say no. I, I don't I don't really foresee there being too many barriers other than folks taking their time kind of coming along and spreading the word and like, here's this program and this is why you should join us and this is why it's important. Um, but that's that's probably about the only thing I can see as, as like a barrier that it takes a little bit of time, but not any barrier per se as far as language. And uh, we, we've also created a pamphlets with a Promotora logo and, and with Promotoras in action. And so when they see folks by way of this pamphlet, it's like, look, here's a pamphlet with from Clackamas Women's Services in Spanish with the people that were at this class that they know. And I, I, I know this lady and look, there she is. And so that speaks, that screams inclusivity right there. Yeah. And so um, Clackamas Women's Services is part of the Safe Place Family Justice Center Coalition. How has the support of partners impacted your work? Well, we were able to create a Latinx provider chat and through that Latinx provider chat, we were able to bring in lots of providers to a space, a culturally specific space that focuses on leadership, uh, uh, what is it, um, self-care and outreach and support. And so when we have partners coming in that are Latino providers in the community doing the work and recognizing that a safe place is the place to go and that Clackamas Women's Services is leading it by making this space, that that in itself is really, really important and pivotal. So when we have, you know, legal aid services, DHS, WorkSource, other local sister agencies coming in to the space that we have, um, that we have, you know, built to come in and share and exchange information about how the work is being done within the Latino community, um, and getting the word out even further, that that really, that's just so awesome. Mm. And Deanna, what is your hope for this program? As you look at the horizons, what's your vision for what's coming next? My hope and vision is that we're able to do uh, tech support for the state. I wanted us to go grand. I wanted us to be like, well, we've already put, I can say, promotoras on a national level. We were able to uh, do a presentation at a national level. And we took two promotoras to this training, one of which, or I'm sorry, to a conference, one of which co-presented with us as a promotora at a national level. So we were able to do that. The next hope is to have it be part of the state and that the state is able to understand the importance of having a promotora model and how it really does great with outreach and inclusivity for the communities they're trying to reach and serve. And then locally, we wanna be able to have a promotora group uh, 
around the entire Clackamas. Right now we have an urban group and we have a group in Malala. We want to go to Sandy. We want to go to Canby. We want to continue to, so, you know, to have a promotora in all aspects of the county. So it's just a, everyone knows if you say promotora in Clackamas County, oh, that's Clackamas Women's Service. Oh, that's somebody doing outreach in the Latino, you know, it should be just, just like that. That's wonderful. And and what what it, you didn't mention Multnomah County or Clark County. Are, are there promotorists in those counties already or similar programs? That's a really good question. Um, I found out through a little bit of research that um, there's three places around Oregon, the state of Oregon that offer promotoras. Um, Washington County has a, a housing program where they have promotoras at each of their housing sites. Um, I believe in the Dallas, there's also a health promoter program out there doing work around topics like asthma or high blood pressure or diabetes. Um, and then in Multnomah County, we do have um, El Brahma Hispano Católico who has one, prom one promotora or promotor doing the work in the Tri-County area around domestic and sexual violence. Yeah. Uh, but I think we hold the space where it extends a little bit more, especially with domestic and sexual violence to where we're able to make that a priority and then enhance on all the other services that are going on around the community to share the word about other resources. Mm. As our listeners are imagining this, this bold vision that you've put forth, how can folks best support your work and become allies? I think that folks can best support our work um, by educating themselves around what promotora means because the word promoter means promoting, promoting information, promoting awareness, access to resources, uh, access to cultural space, focus on, on support. And I think for folks to understand the, the importance of promotoras um, and how it's working in the community and, and how Clackamas Women's Services put it first around the Tri-County, more or less, uh, in doing this model, and that the importance of being able to be inclusive and to give voice to the community, uh, to give voice to the people that are suffering in the most you know, ways because of all the barriers, transportation, language, uh, immigration status, um, or other things, you know, and especially during the pandemic when people have to get kind of uh, creative about making a safety plan and is it a text are we going to talk to the mom to the cousin to then the sister to get you know the information that's needed and having to do things in a very resilient resilient space even more so. Mm. What does a safety plan look like if that's a new concept for our listeners what's your what are your recommendations for where to learn more about a safety plan and what are some of the components of that? Yeah you can go on our website uh, the Clackamas Women's website um, almost any DV uh, agency has information about safety planning. Safety planning is where we're going to meet folks where they're at. We're going to listen and validate to their experience. And then we're going to, we're going to um, work with them so they can create an understanding of why safety is important and what they need to be safe and to have uh, to start working on building one for them. So is it having a, a cell phone number with safe numbers? Is it having maybe a little bit of cash if you need to get away? Is it um, who's a safe person that you can talk to? And it's really like stepping back and saying, what do I need to be safe right now as a person with my kids? And what is that going to look like for me? So safety plans are an individual process. And that's where 
uh, folks really have to um, build something that's going to work for them. And so with advocacy, that's what the part of the advocacy, that's what we do is work with them to, for them to be able to um, create a safety plan and understand how important safety is when there's a situation of domestic or sexual violence. Mm. Can only imagine the the kind of risk that one takes to get out of a, a difficult, unsafe situation. Um, how do you build trust in the community when there's there's such a high risk, and and depend and needing to depend on systems that have not been responsive, um, especially um, in a in a culturally specific way. How how do you engender that sort of trust in systems that have not been supportive or safe in the past to people? Yeah, I, I think it goes back to that same place of having things in their language, having somebody going out into the community and voicing who we are and what we do, um, being inclusive around inviting folks in their own space to participate, um, understanding and learning about what domestic and sexual violence is and letting them know that they matter, that they're important, that they always counted and that um, we're here now uh, we've always been here, but we're here now again to give you uh, the tools that you can take back to then share with folks about what we have as far as resources, uh, services, and and language. I, I think that it really is very intentional uh, to be able to go out into the community um, and you know, and also being able to have somebody that's bilingual, bicultural is very important as well. That may or may, you know, to understand the community, to be able to go out there and uh, put ourselves out there and letting folks know that CWS is very proactive and very serious about being inclusive by way of this model, by way of this position, by way of the many positions and supporting uh, Latino leadership development as well. Mm. Deanna, tell us, tell us more about the start of the Promotoris program. How did, how did you really, how did you launch? Yes, um, it started in a great way. Um, I had come to CWS with volunteer training experience, but not promotora experience. So everything sort of fell into place. I had a contact out in Washington State with uh, the WICSAP program, the Washington State Sexual Program Coalition. And uh, she let me know, guess what? We're going to bring in uh, somebody to do a promotora, train the trainer. I'm like, I'm there. So I went and attended this promotora training. I started having conversation with the trainers and I discovered that they actually had been awarded an Avon grant to do trainings around the country, Oregon being one of the places that they were hoping to provide the training. So we were able to connect um, and then we fast forwarding, we were able to then connect with El Brahma Hispano Católico uh, who had started doing voices in the community, domestic and sexual violence conference around for the state of for the state of Oregon, and so then we partnered with each of the uh, each of the the folks, uh, being East Los Angeles Women's Resource and El Brahma Hispano Católico and Clackamas Women's Services, and we brought in the train the trainers on the promotora model. So we had a really good turnout for the state, and there was about fifty attendees that came in and learned about promotora model on the state level, and so that was extremely awesome that we were able to do that, and that's where we were able to start. So from there, and we were then able to gather to do fund, fund requests and we were able to get grants to then actually launch our promotora 
program. So it was, it was a great, a great time. Mm. What a wonderful way of just continuing that work. You've been given the training from another organization. Now you all are planning on giving that back to the larger Oregon community, the Portland metro area. Um, you continue to pay it forward. That's really, really inspiring. Yes, it was really, it was really great to have these Los Angeles Women's Resource because they have their uh, Promotora Institute. And so they brought that to Oregon. And so that was great. Again, CWS leading the way in being able to, um, to start that that way with having a, a statewide training on the model, on the promotora model. CWS leading the way. I like the way that sounds. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Deanna, as we as we close, how can folks find out more information and how to support you? Um, well, they can go to our website, you know, our social media. So on um, our webpage, there's a there's information about promotoras. We have brochures. If anybody wants flyers or uh, brochures, we can also arrange to have those sent to their agency so that they could, you know, just at a glance, there's a something that talks about promotoras. I'm also able to uh, provide promotora information trainings um, to any any agency or, or any space seeking to get more information and talking about what, what a promotora model is or what a promotora model is, what they do, what, how we train them. Um, the other thing I wanna quickly mention is that we, we also were very inclusive of understanding that folks coming to do a training needed to have something, some incentive. So we gave them food, we did a gas card, we did childcare. At our second training, we had 15 children that were present because moms were there, you know, getting the training and it was just so awesome. And so it's it's understanding that we have to be able to have the space and have the place and have the resources so folks can just come on in who are already, uh, who are ready to come in and learn about how to do, to do advocacy work with domestic and sexual violence under CWS. Mm, that's wonderful. Deanna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That's Deanna Camarillo, Latina Services Coordinator at Clackamas Women's Services. Thank you so much to our guests, Melissa and Deanna. You've been listening to Representation for Survivors, Latina Community Advocacy and Pro Bono Legal Empowerment. It's part of Amplify Women on X-Ray FM, a celebration of International Women's Day. I'm your host, Emily Gilliland. Stay tuned to hear from Tuck Woodstock and his podcast, Gender Reveal. He's talking to Amara Jones, founder of Translash Media, host and host of the Translash podcast on trans women fighting the patriarchy. Radio is yours.